Say what? Hello and welcome back. It's time for Say What, where we hear from those connected to the industry about what's going on in our world of electrical apprenticeship. And this includes the topics that you have suggested. So please, please keep those coming. I'm your host, Cindy Sandifer, and I'm alone today, but Todd is with me in spirit. We just held our 31st NTI and what a fantastic time we had. It was incredible being back together at the University of Michigan. And during a C-group session, which is a session for JATC committee members, local union and chapter officers, and all training directors, we got to host a live recording of Say What? And now you get to experience it too. Hi! No, that's you all. Hi! Hi. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Hi. I'm talking to you! Um, thanks for coming to our session. I know kind of blasted an email and asked if anybody wanted to help out. Um, so really appreciate those that were willing to contribute to this session, but also those of you that were just saying, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> but, uh, and you don't have to contribute. Just having your beautiful smiling faces uh, looking back at us is enough um, treasure for today. But, um, but what we asked for was topics. You know, what do you all want to talk about? What's on your mind? Um, and so we're just going to go from there and then feel free. Um, you don't have to have a mic to join in the discussion. So, you know, if there's something you want to talk about, you may even want to talk about something that you've heard already this week. So it wasn't on your mind before, but now you're kind of thinking about it. Um, so we can chat about those things. Again, huge thanks to those who've agreed to kind of sit up front and share. And we do have a mic that we can pass around if somebody does want to say something. Okay, so I liked this one. Um, Okay, I like a bunch of them, but policies or changes, do you have or have you heard of policies or changes that have proven to lower the absence or tardy rate on jobs? So this was someone kind of asking that of this audience. Like, have you, do you have any experience with something that works mm -hmm. to help with absences and tardies on jobs for Absen apprentices? Absenteeism is a growing issue that we're trying to solve. You're right. right. Be a great, somebody has a great policy, great implementation set, we'd love to be able to talk about it and discuss it. So. Mm. <laughs> Do you, what'd you say? That's how I love to hear that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we got a lot of people wanting to hear it. Who's got all the answers? And it doesn't, like, no pressure. But, like, what are you doing? I, and they didn't, this one didn't specify the classroom. Mm. I don't think we're limited to just talking about the job site. So don't feel like, like, what are you doing in the classroom? And or how are you handling job site absences? Is there anything that's been proven to be effective? Or if it's a struggle for you, like we can also talk about that. Like what are the struggles you're having um, in that area? Yes. So um, for us, so this is also a struggle that we've um, been kind of going through as well. Um, and one of the things that we've started implementing is we host a boot camp at our training center where we bring in high school students. Um, and they go through several, a series of different workshops. Some of it's like um, math relevancy, um, some hands-on OSHA stuff and things like that. But one of the workshops that we have added is soft skills. So kind of trying to get ahead of the curve before they hit the workforce and um, encouraging them and just teaching them what some of the soft skills are. Um, you know, showing up on time, ready to work, all of that kind of thing. Um, and so I think that's it's not necessarily a policy that's directly affecting our, our current workforce, but we're hoping to kind of get ahead of that curve with the, the future workforce. So 
that's something that we're doing just to kind of get ahead. I think you're exactly right. Anything can expose an applicant to who we are and what we do. It's got to benefit in the long term. It has to. Let them get an idea about what, how they're going to join a family. What are they going to look like? What's the family like before you join? I mean, it's kind of like that environment. Uh, and that's a great deal, great tool to use. Uh, let's just make sure when we do that, we make it available to everybody. You know how it works with apprenticeship. We can't discriminate, can't discharge, can't work with different populations without exposing that opportunity to all groups. Just make sure we continue that. It's good to go. I love it. Mm. Yeah, and I think it was Lucas Aubrey when he was talking about, <laughs> I don't remember which session it was, but he was basically saying, you know, he prefers, it, oh, it was the um, scholarship loan agreements. Mm -hmm. I know it was going to come back. Um, but he was saying, you know, he prefers instead of like a punitive type thing, like at a reward type system. Mm -hmm. So I think instead of it being like, maybe if we approach it instead of this is what happens if you're late to the job or whatever, like how do we grow those? And you, you nailed it. Like how do we grow those soft mm -hmm. skills? How do we empower them? to understand the importance of being on the job. And I think it was uh, Danny Van Sickle's uh, session earlier, but talking about pre-apprenticeship, and I know Tina Williams talked about it, you've talked about it, just this idea of getting people in and helping them to understand rather than kind of throwing people out cold, because Danny mentioned like, you know, a lot of these people are high school students, right, right? through their, right. their program that they have. And so they haven't experienced, like we're really hard on them, but they have not experienced like having a full-time job and having to go to school at the same time. Many of them haven't. So I think that's really and important. The, and the traditional applicant that where a boot camp is not needed or orientation lesson not needed generally has someone second, third, fourth generation of IBEW in a way, which they have family members along the way that kind of keeps them in line with what they're supposed to do. And, then, and the numbers show up on our statistical values as well. Uh, you can see that number affecting our population, minority males and females, drastically more than white males. You see the dropout rates increase because of that. That's because they have no one to rely on. They, have, they don't have a big brother, big sister, mother, dad in, in the program to talk to. They, they're on their own. So adversity comes along the way, what do they do? Well, you know today's generation is good at ghosting. They're real good at it. Mm -hmm. So they just disappear. <laughs> they, just, they go somewhere else. Right, right, absolutely. Does anybody else have anything on that? I don't want to move on. If Anybody else? We can always come back to, like again, remember this is just, something comes to your mind, mm -hmm. let's talk about it. Like don't feel, this is not scripted in that way. Mm -hmm. So we will cut and paste and do all the things that, mm -hmm. we'll make it difficult for our editors. I think that'd be kind of fun for the video editors. Like enjoy, you've got a few weeks to get this baby looking right. So um, I did want to jump to, we had a few things about the EV charging market, if I'm mm -hmm. saying that correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and Jason, I believe you were going to help us, right? Did, or, for the EV, yeah, like we, we were talking about it a little bit. Several people had comments because there's so much being, there's so much discussion going on, right? And I think you might have some stuff you can share. Got a little bit. Not yeah. a subject matter expert by right, any means. Right, right, right. No. But, uh, so what we do back at home in Detroit, we, uh, we make that part of the curriculum in the fifth year as an advanced program. It's the EVITP program that we do. And uh, you, can, you can check that out on, online. There's a website. Um, so it's it's we, we encourage them to, to go ahead and do that and, and there's a little, it's a it's a minor fee but I think we pick up a lot of that through the LMCC. Mm. Right, thank you. Yeah, and Terry Coleman, he's running the camera because at NTI people, everybody's doing everything. Um, but I know Terry Coleman and Jason Lunardini, um, as far as on our staff, I'm just speaking for who you can reach out to. Mm -hmm from the ETA, you know, that um, yeah, that's a very large. It's a very large drive now by the IBEW <coughs> NICA team to get more people qualified under the EBITP certification. We don't do the certification, the Electrical Training Alliance does not, we provide the training. There's a separation between the certification and training we need to maintain and we do electrical vehicle charging systems, the courseware that Jason referred to and that's what we teach and provide and it's a 
three different models. I mean, you got instructor led, you got a hybrid model with instructor led and some CML, and you got a purely asynchronous model. So you have your choices about what we're trying to do and grow the market so we can reach that 10,000 number that we need to have to show the administration and anyone looking at doing this work, hey, we can do this work. We're capable of managing every job. Yeah, and Todd, thank you. <laughs> I guess I, I, I didn't even think about the whole other classification, the, all the journeymen mm -hmm. and journey persons that also need that experience too, right? So, so I just addressed the apprentices, but, uh, but you're absolutely correct. So through that website, uh, anybody that's within our organization, you can go ahead and register that, and, and you can do one of the three different ways of getting trained. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Excellent resource. Take the test, or they have to wait to reach German status. Yeah, and the requirement is you have 8,000 hours in a non-licensed state. You have to have the 8,000 hours to qualify to sit for an exam. If you have a licensed state, of course, you have to have the license to be able to get the certification. The apprentice can take it before they get that the hours. They just won't get the award until they receive the qualification to get it. All right. Thank you. Great question. And it was just. I'm going to repeat it just to make sure everybody could hear it. Um, is you were saying if an apprentice can take the exam, correct? Correct. 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 Okay. Just wanted to restate that. Um, what were we going to talk about? Now I'm trying to remember what it was because I didn't put. I made the mistake of not putting people's names by topics. So, well, yeah. my, my main thing is. Uh, oh wait, hold on. We'll grab that mic, and that way we'll make sure we hear you. Um, my main thing was uh, differences from state to state. Um, you know, I we get a lot of these uh, different topics we're talking about, especially the lawyers. Um, in fact, uh, um, Aubrey said to me. Uh, oh, Wisconsin, you're a weird state when it comes to apprenticeship. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, everybody has different rules um, uh, as far as that's concerned, but also um, different things that work. And I, uh, one thing I, that came to mind was, uh, and I forget the acronym for it, but the contract that apprentices would sign um, so they stick around after the apprenticeship is done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't know that it would work in our jurisdiction or in our local, but uh, you know, here, here it works well for some others. So it'd be interesting to hear other people's views on that. Great, and, great, yeah. great discussion points as well. And there's really two contracts, and I'm not sure which one to refer to. One is the register indenture, we indenture to apprenticeship program. That is a contract. We just refer to it as indenturement into the apprenticeship program, but it's a contract. I think you may be referring to the scholarship loan agreement. Yeah. That's looking at that program. Uh, a program created such that whenever you spend private dollars training, you have some way to recruit that money so that they don't benefit and pay back enough assessment to pay for their training over a period of time. That works. Um, two things about it, though. If you have one in place, if you go after one individual, you have to go against everybody. You have to go after all the money. There's no excuse for it. If they, they don't finish out their agreement, you go after and you collect monies. Well, that's, that's hurt us a couple times whenever the apprentice has to leave. Uh, parents passes away and all the parents in a, in a nursing home and they move back home and take care of the parents and drop out of the program. Wait a minute, all of a sudden now we got to go charge them. That's, you know, it kind of hurts, but you have to do it. Uh, Lucas also brought up the issue about kind of rewarding and incentivizing the system, which I like that model as well. I look here and actually his predecessor, uh, remember his name, Nora? Yes. His predecessor speaking yeah. about, actually said, find a way where we can incentivize our program so that we can reward an apprentice for sticking around for that time rather than taking something away from them. And it's a voluntary program where you can participate and say put money into an fund when an apprentice starts and after they reach, you know, third year, fifth year, however you want to do it, or two years out, you give them a little money back. They get a bonus for sticking around. And it's really this money they've earned by being there, by saving you, but yet it doesn't matter uh, uh, and having to go after funds when you're trying to collect. And I bet you if you 
follow the math out. I'm the math guy. I get it. You follow the math. There'd be enough guys that will leave the program and guys will leave the program over time to where they've lost that money they've been contributing to for that period of time. They'd probably be self-funding. If you think about it, start funding itself. You don't have to add to it anymore. So it's a matter of time to get there. I agree. We've got to make it to the point. But that's another good model to get. I wish we'd think a little bit about, it, and that might be something better for. Wisconsin says, you have a statewide system registration, everybody together, yeah, I know you are, you're weird, but we're all, we all, and so the first thing we hear on the phone, somebody calls that, we do things a little bit different here, so it's no matter where it's at. So. We're all weird. I, I guess my question for people would be, um, are, you know, maybe the incentive, maybe not the incentive, but uh, the, uh, the other way around where you would, they would pay money if they right. left. Does that take away from good applicants? You know, you have someone that has a specific set of skills or, or just has good soft skills around. Does that, you know, make it, make it difficult to get better applicants? Yeah, well, we get some audience input in that as well, if those that may have it, but I'll, I don't know if that's a measurable, I don't know if that's a measurable number. If, you, if you're preventing a good applicant because they're worried about getting, or having to pay back a scholarship loan agreement if they, if, they, if they leave the program, but a good applicant probably not going to leave. I mean, so I don't know if that's a measurable number. Yeah, I'd kind of like to respond to that too. So I addressed the scholarship loan agreement in the process of uh, orientation that uh, it's monopoly money. It doesn't mean a thing. It's only important or collected if you leave the family. Mm -hmm. And if that's your intentions coming into our apprenticeship program and you choose to, your goal is to go through the apprenticeship program and get one of those jobs at the refineries and lifelong jobs or whatever, it's still a great deal. Our policy is $8,000 you pay back and uh, one semester in college is about $4,000 to $6,000, we have apprentices that try to go for instrumentation, process operators, whatever it might be, and uh, they'll spend $20,000, still find it difficult to get their first job in one of those refineries because they lack skills, they have no on-the-job training. So I tell my students when we're going through orientation, this is a great deal. Go ahead and, and, and concede to it. $8,000 or $10,000, whatever your policy is, is a bargain because you're going to get picked up by those petrochemical refineries because you have both classroom related training, hands on skills, uh, and you've been on the job. So the, you're familiar with the job site and the refineries. So they're going to hire you up just like that. And in some cases, we've had the refineries actually pay that scholarship. That's a really good, that's Super interesting, that's why I like this, is because hearing all these different uh, views at the JTC I was at, we did not do um, scholarship loan agreements, but there was a bank that we had a relationship with, and so they would almost definitely, I would say, approve the loan. Like, it, I, it's, you know, you never wanna say always, um, but they would approve a loan for the apprentices because they understood how things worked, and so yes, it's not, but it makes it maybe a little bit less scary because when they're hearing about peers that are going and taking out college loans and then their loan is you know much much lower i can't remember exactly what what it was at the time um but it kind of helped them i think to ease that fear of you know here's the we called it tuition right, right? so it was you know at one point it was like 500 i think it ended up at 700 before i left because obviously prices increase you know so for some people the 700 bucks a year is nothing but for the ones that are concerned about it, if they know there's an option with a low interest, you know, I think they're, mm -hmm. it, 
alleviate some of the fear. Mm -hmm. Did somebody, I thought I saw a hand up, maybe I didn't. Anybody else on that? Anything you're doing with maybe to alleviate any of the heaviness of book fees um, or how you work that? Yeah. Stephanie? Yeah. So our, one second, I want to make sure we hear you. some of the alleviation of book fees that we have for our apprentices uh, each year if they pass a certain grade point average uh, they actually get their book fee from that year paid so uh, I actually did it twice in my apprenticeship uh, I scored over a 95 for two years and the, that year I paid for those books they gave me that that amount back Stephanie it's very informative to know and you know of course my son being in the program that you went through just <laughs> into that I did not know that he's like yeah we'll see if he gets my, all my money back yeah oh yes okay. sir yeah, thank you. so okay. yeah yeah as long as oh, uh, as long as the apprentice yes. it was actually me and one of my other uh co-students yeah. uh did it twice in mm -hmm. our five-year apprenticeship so they just reimburse you at the end of the year if you've yes ma'am so that. as long as you make over 95 mm -hmm. they'll give you what you paid at the beginning of the year they'll give that back to you mm -hmm. that's so that uh, that kind of incentivized some of us to, you know, we got to crack down on the books, mm -hmm. get your test scores up, get your money back to yeah. help pay for your books for next year. That is huge. Sorry, Sam, by the way. She didn't mean to sell you out. I'm, yeah, no, I'm joking, like, for his son, now that he's going to go back and mess with him. Like, we did, that, wasn't, that was an unintended consequence of this podcast. It's a good, it's a good one, though. And, and not to be confusing, we kind of intermix two different discussions here in one, one yeah, discussion about scholarship loan agreements for the JDC rights and be able to charge for apprentices for training as well as book costs and loans as well. So, mm. well we keep them straight, we're good. Yes, yes. Sorry, I didn't mean for you to end up being a mic runner. I, I apologize. Are you okay? Okay. Okay. Well, you're not done with that. So, to, Marty, what were we going to talk about? Did we have something? I'm trying to remember. Or were you just willing to help? I'm just helping. Oh, look at that. Don't do that to me. Jim, you want to talk? Yeah. No, I just could, I didn't, I made the mistake of not writing down what people had said, but I do have names here. So I, I know uh, James Stover wants to talk about popcorn, right? Is that what we just? Popcorn. Yeah. Popcorn. Do you guys have any favorite popcorns? Oh my gosh. Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, um, I think the topic I sent you was. Uh, drug policies concerning oh, yes. marijuana. Mm -hmm. New Jersey, state I'm out of, I'm from Trenton, New Jersey, folks, by the way. Um, we just passed a law, 2022, to legalize recreational marijuana. Mm -hmm. So um, we're kind of still floundering around trying to figure out how we implement policy at the JTC level. Um, so I'd just like to hear from everyone else, because a lot of you guys have been dealing with this problem a lot longer than we have. You know what everyone's doing that's and I, I will let you know when as soon as he sent that I was like hey Lucas <laughs> do you, can you come to our session well Lucas is speaking in another room right now um, but he did send me a cheat sheet so I do have some notes from Lucas but I think before we even like jump into that it, has anybody in is anybody dealing with that um, or are you starting to think about it of course being for calls it's a great way to approach your policy at your JDC. I don't implement it. You guys can implement that kind of stuff where it's at. But oh, because is a great reason. Because if you think about it, you now have a, a controlled substance, for lack of a better way of putting it, where it's, but it's still legal. It can bring out an industry, but it's no different alcohol. I mean, you can't show up on a job site drunk. We know that. Okay, well, it's going to be the same thing with drugs. Part comes to be how you're going to test. What's your testing for that? Alcohol consumption is pretty easy. I mean, you go out and test somebody, you pass the legal limit, 
you're considered to be drunk. Well, same thing in Ohio. You go drink or smoke something on Friday night when you get out of work, it might show up Monday morning in the job site. So you got to turn them over for calls. John? Yeah, Michigan, uh, we, we started out with uh, medical marijuana, and we'd have applicants that thought they had a get-out-of-jail-free card. And now, I think it was two or four years ago, I can't remember the cycle, it, recreation is also legal now. But it's not legal department transportation. Correct. And so it's still, you know, apprentices still, if they test positive, they have to go through the uh, procedure of, you know, for our drug policy, you, you have to go to, to counseling and, and show, you know, that you've uh, updated your stuff. It, it's not fair, though, you know, because you can't test. If, you, if I have a, uh, a beer, hell, if I have heroin on uh, Friday after work, I show up Monday, that doesn't even show up. Right. But marijuana has stayed right. in your system for a long time. But, so it's still illegal. We haven't changed our policy at all. And um, it, it hasn't been a, a, a big hassle. The state has, we're part of the MUST uh, management union um, mm -hmm. safety. Got it. Survey so, together. Got it. Yeah. So I mean, Detroit has the same thing, and it it hasn't been a huge problem. But every once in a while, we'll get somebody that you know will get caught up in it. But right. It John, hasn't what, been huge. can I ask what is your testing policy? Is it random or is it for calls or annually and random? Got it. Uh, part of that must, and that's for the whole. That's for journeymen and mm -hmm. and apprentices. So annually, you have to have a condition of employment. You have to have drug test annually. Um, and you talk about being different in states. Well, you're different in, in cities. I don't think Detroit, we pay a stipend, so our, our journeymen and apprentices, they get $50 just to go uh, get tested. And uh, yeah, so. Ours is free, and it's uh, customer required sometimes, so you might be going a couple times a week if you have to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it's free, but they get a, a check from labor oh. management for 50 bucks to. I keep telling them, if you, I don't understand when they let it lapse. I'll send somebody out and it's lapsed, and they're going to give you $50 to do it. Just do it, you know? Right. But. Right. I think we had, do we have another, you had something, yeah. I'm an assistant training director in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we've had uh, recreational marijuana for quite a while now. I don't want to <laughs> tread all over the old grounds here, mm -hmm. but uh, our drug testing policy is pre-indenture, pre-employment, random throughout the, uh, the duration, and our Department of Defense and Department of Energy sites, they don't play around with that either. Mm. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, never changed our policies. However, we did have a, a bit of a contingency in the recreational marijuana language in the state of Nevada. Uh, it disbars you from pre-employment discrimination unless your job is of public or life safety. And our trade unions got together and confirmed that uh, electricity, if not any other, is definitely considerable to one of those crafts, so our contractors enforce that pretty steadily too. Hmm. Great movement. It's a great point to reemphasize again. States and federal are different. We know that. We, you guys deal with it every day because you have state legalized all around, but the federal department still has not legalized recreational use or medical marijuana. So same hmm. thing. Yeah, and Lucas had, like I said, there's a ton of notes, and I know he, uh, you may have already been in a session with him where he talked about it, um, but he talked about yeah, majority of states now have. Uh, legalized it for medical use and then of course you've got those that are now uh, recreational as well um, but he, he mentioned he said uh, 
uh, let's see what he said programs should speak with council in their area about the continued lawfulness of testing applicants and apprentices for marijuana and about a process for dealing with requests for a reasonable accommodation. Um, programs that test for marijuana should also keep an eye on changes to state law that may impact testing. Um, kind of like what we're saying, you know, and again, I'm not here to argue for or against, but just the fact that, yeah, if, if you go out and have a beer, if you get smashed, you know, on Saturday, like way past legal limits, Monday morning, you may not, still may not feel great, but you know, it, you're not gonna pop on any kind of alcohol test. Right. Whereas with, with marijuana, again, you could be perfectly fine Monday, more than capable of doing your work. But if someone tests you, you know, it's in there. And so he just mentioned, he's like, you know, this is, this is his opinion. It is only his opinion. This is not legal advice. I just wanna make sure that I cover that clearly. Um, but he said, even if programs are not prohibited by state law mm -hmm. from testing for marijuana, he said programs should consider whether it's still makes sense to test. We've got something over here. You're getting your steps in. I hope you've got on like a, you know, some kind of watch or Fitbit. Um, we're in Oregon and we have suspended random tests. And then the pre-employment, um, they don't screen for marijuana. And if they're going to screen for marijuana, so for like a federal job or a couple of major generals, they have to give them written notice in advance of the test. And then the apprentice, I don't know about the journeyman, but the apprentice can say, just like a background check, I'm not going to pass this, and then they won't be put on that job. Sorry, I'm taking that my mouth is open, and I was like, oh, crap, yeah. we're recording. Um, I personally love, like, I love that. Again, I'm really, it sounds like I'm four, so I know, like, how this is coming across, but I just think, you know, as Todd said, with alcohol, like, it's, you know, now if you suspect that, like, I don't want you drunk on a job site where we're dealing with electricity. I don't want you impaired in any way because I want to go home to my family. I want you to go your home to your family. So I don't want you high. I don't want you drunk. I don't want anything like that. I don't want you, truly, I don't want you sleepy. You know, I mean, that's also a very dangerous situation. And with someone's, but I mean, we can't test for that. Mm -hmm. But that you know, was, that was yeah. exactly why is there's no reliable test for impairment for it. Yeah. So, but giving that option to say, hey, I'm not going to pass it. I'm able to do it. I'm that, not. I'm doing. I'm not doing anything illegal in, in this situation. So right? this is brand new for us, and we haven't gotten a lot of direction. And so that's. I talked to our drug-free um, people, and I said, "Can I treat it this way?" And they said, "Yes, you can do that." And so that was my. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've been telling the apprentices is, you tell me. Same with like vaccinations. If there's a vaccination requirement and you right. are not vaccinated, you're not going to be kicked out of the apprenticeship for not being able to go to that job site. Right, you're just precluded from that. It's just right. like someone with a felony, right? right? I, you, there are certain job sites you're not gonna be able to go on, but it's not gonna keep you right. from going through our program. There just may be times when there's an unemployment situation for you. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's excellent. Thank you. Look, did we answer your question? Ish, ish, okay, yeah. Get some popcorn, sit down. Okay, let me tell you about the popcorn. So any TDA, um, I, I was, presenting with them and uh, ended up mentioning, somehow I ended up mentioning popcorn. And then I have a, like I love it, but it really does hurt my stomach. But I cannot stop my, like if I'm at a movie, I'm ordering it and I'm eating like all of it and I'm just gonna be sick, but I know the consequence. Like I, I admit that. Well, the, the next day, Tina Williams like presented me with a thing of popcorn. And I did indulge on my way home. I must admit, I was like, cut it off or you're going to have a really hard time finishing this drive home from Memphis. But that's a popcorn joke. I didn't want to leave anyone out. Uh, so that's where that. And then he's been messing with me. So I'm expecting popcorn from, from you by the end of this week. I just wanted to, to throw that out. So I'll be very disappointed if I don't get popcorn. 
I'm kidding. Okay, anything else? I'm going to go on to some questions, but is anything anybody's mind getting stirred, something you want to, to chat about? Um, we covered marijuana. <laughs> Let's see, what else can we cover? Oh, I think, okay, strategies on how to retain good instructors. What do you do to find, we'll go even further, like finding a good instructor, training a good instructor, keeping a good instructor. How do you deal with that? And you have to answer this because it's going to look like you have no good instructors. So, you know, I'm going to be like, anybody that didn't answer just clearly does not like their instructors. I would not do that. Look, oh, Robert loves his instructors. I just want to point that out. I'm kidding, Robert. I mean, I am. That's a good thing. Hi, my name is Robert Cruz from Daytona Beach. Um, I mean, I'm lucky I live in Florida. It's a retirement place. So recently, <laughs> I found an ex-training director who retired, and he came to teach for me, Michael Agabellis. Mm -hmm. Anybody knows him. But I mean, that was like the best find I could think of. Um, so if anybody else is thinking about retiring, Daytona Beach is a nice place. <laughs> uh, and you got, a, you got a nice little side gig. But we try. We, we really, um, I take education very serious. So trying to find good teachers is, is a priority. Trying to retain them. Um, let me find them first, and then we'll talk about retaining them. OK. That's, that's fair. It's fair. Uh, great point brought up. And I don't know if you want to say more on that. I can get you. Yeah. Let's get you a mic. Sorry. Again, lots of steps. For us. Uh, getting good instructors with having daytime instructors full-time, it's, it's been pretty easy because they get a lot of training. You're not really worried about them leaving. But uh, some of our nighttime instructors, the, uh, for the journeyman courses or whatever, that's an issue. And I know talking to nighttime programs, same thing. They're working all day and they're tired, so it's hard to get that retention. Mm. So, I want to add one thing, too. Uh, so I'm the assistant executive director for NECA. And uh, we try to visit the school, uh, we try to frequent it a couple times a week or uh, every other week or whatever, um, just to show support for the instructors. It's important, we'll, we'll uh, host some dinners or something like that. And I know that my counterparts on the IBW side, they also do things like that, right? They'll visit the classrooms, reiterate, uh, talk about uh, things on the job and reiterate the importance of of the homework and all that other stuff. So I think just showing our faces at the school and, and, and showing that that you know they're not alone in apprentices because it's tough being an apprentice in, in today. You know it was tough back when I did it and it's tough now today. So but it's important I think just uh, uh, so the apprentices understand that we're here for their help. I give them our card. I, I tell them hey I was in your shoes. If if you have questions that I can't answer, I'll get you the right people. And then also my counterparts do that too on the IBW side. That's a really good. Um Point about the support, you know, like, and, and I'm thinking a lot about the nighttime instructors because um, it sounds like by what you said that would be where you might see some of this is that they they feel supported because again I'm speaking from where I was at, but you know we're working during the day, right? So we've been there however many hours through the day. Now it's evening, you know. Do those evening instructors just kind of feel like? All right, you know, and again, they're tired. They've worked all day, most of them. I mean, there could be some that are retired, um, but you know, most of them have worked all day. Now they're coming in from a long day. The apprentices have also worked all day, coming in from a long day, you know, so that's not always a great mix anyway. But then if they're not feeling the support and love from the JTC staff, then maybe there's part of, you know, a, could be a breakdown on retention and, and stuff. I'm sure it is. And the nighttime, yeah. daytime instructors definitely have a, a different viewpoint. Mm -hmm. what, what, what makes a good instructor and what, what they're committed to as well because today's world the nighttime part-time instructor a lot of times they're giving up overtime 
So not only do mm. you have to pay them well to get married, you get up a lot of paid overtime to go with it as well if they're trying to lose. Right. You, sometimes incentivizing might help too. So yeah. you gotta figure out. Absolutely. Did you guys? Yeah, so, so that, that was my question. We just, we just had a, um, a phenomenal instructor leave and we're in the process of getting another instructor and I don't know if you guys know, but Wisconsin, the way that we do it is we, uh, you know, it's a state thing. We actually pay our apprentices to go to school for a day of the week um, and depending on what year they are. Uh, so we had our instructor was uh, taught at the local technical college. Um, and you know there were a number of things that that he brought to our attention that maybe we could do better it was a little bit out of our control but i i guess i would be curious to know if um you know sounds like mostly everybody is nighttime instructors um and if and in daytona beach daytona beach like uh you know that was kind of the thing you brought up well if you're close to retirement age are you um you know, yeah, I mean, I would love to retire, or, uh, teach in retirement, but I'm, I'm just not ready. Yeah, so. but it's a, a future resume for you. <laughs> so you mentioned, I think we've got a couple of more hands. Um, something to, to think about as well is, you know, allowing feedback mm -hmm. from your instructors. I, sometimes it's good to go anonymous. I mean, I think there's, there's beauty in knowing who's struggling and if someone's willing to come and talk to you that way, but sometimes starting anonymous, and I've mentioned this before, like short survey questions, an opportunity for feedback, don't take up people, like one to three minutes max that it's gonna take someone to fill that out. Let it, let it be completely anonymous. And then, you know, don't get offended by what, what you receive, right. but look at it and say, hey, okay, this, this is what these people are feeling. And especially if there begin, becomes like this common denominator, then maybe we can start to see what could be and I'm not suggesting it's us or it's the JTC or it's someone's fault, but you know we're we're human. We can't think of everything, and let's talk to the people that are actually living this experience. So we actually had one completely retire this year and two that wanted to retire this year. Um, we asked the ones that wanted to retire, you know, what can we do to keep you, make you feel a little bit better about staying long term. Uh, so we're going from a one teacher for a full year curriculum to a teacher teaching an individualized just AC theory, just instrumentation, stuff like that. Um, we actually brought in two or three more teachers this year that were, uh, who wanted to teach, but they didn't want to teach a whole school year. So it, it helps them only have to come in for two or three weeks at a time, not the whole school year long. That, I like that. That's really, yeah. If I may, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, right, no, you're good. We, this is yeah. what it's for. This is uh, what we're here for. Right. Oh, well, I think this is a problem that's just going to get worse. Okay. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's a lot of moving parts here. When I was uh, a journeyman, I became an instructor. I taught night school. Uh, I'd had the challenges of coaching a ball team for my son, working, mm -hmm. and coming and prepared for a class. So I know how challenging that is. Uh, when I became the training director, fortunately. I started a three-year campaign and we moved over to day school. When we were doing night school, we had, we have 200 apprentices, so we might have had 12 instructors to service 200 apprentices for night school. That's 12 different personalities. Just telling it like mm -hmm. it is, we might have had Monday night football in one class, we might have had <laughs> politics in another class, and we might have actually been teaching the curriculum in another class, okay? When you make that, or, the only solution I can think of that really solves this problem is when we transitioned over to day school, 12 personalities turned into two, okay? Mm -hmm. And they became full-time instructors. This was their job. 
So you found the best of the best. They didn't have to worry about a, another employment job. With full-time instructors, then we were able to build labs and, and, and curriculum to complement the current curriculum that we have. The other issue with finding retired people, which no one's more intelligent than our retired members. They've seen it all, right? Uh, unfortunately, they're not going to welcome, in most cases, uh, some of the new electronic techniques and processes that we're going through as we transition. They're going to want to go back to the binder, and they're <laughs> going to want to do that method. So if you want a real hard solution, start talking. It took me three years, but start talking and thinking about day school. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're, oh, go ahead. Thanks, Danny. You're yeah. exactly right. I think uh, that's a valuable experience, a valuable lesson we can see. Now, each program will have to implement, implement that differently. You're great in your model. I don't know how to explain it to everyone else to do it, but we might get you to share a few of those tips along the way when people ask. So, yeah. so in, uh, in Ann Arbor, I've been lucky, blessed that uh, we're day school, two instructors, two full-time instructors. And we use our night classes to have people co-teach to make sure that they enjoy teaching because the idea of it a lot of times is one thing, but actually being prepared, getting in front of a classroom, doing the lesson plan, that's a, that's a whole different thing. So um, you gotta identify people who enjoy it and then send them to NTI, get them in front of apprentices. We do do night school for residential. Um, my instructor with 24 years is retiring in uh, next Thursday. So we have a, an opening. We don't have openings for instructors very often. He's gonna continue to teach part-time and the instructor, uh, I, I know Todd knows Bob Kosky. He was my instructor back in the day when I went through. <laughs> and uh, he's still there. He comes in two days a week. He teaches instrumentation, uh, part A for journeyman. And uh, we actually helping out the neighboring uh, uh, local and teaching their fifth years. Um, and Bob's doing that. So if you find the right people, it's really difficult, but you gotta have support of your, your committee. I blessed all my contractors on my committee went through the program. We, um, one of our contractors was our top apprentice when he went through and, and they're bought into doing what's right for the industry, not what's right for them. So you, it, it's everybody working together but you have to work to identify that people because I, I don't know, I've, there's a half a dozen that we started out that, that found it wasn't for them and probably two dozen that we found out wasn't for us. Mm. So right. you have to work at it. Yeah, got a couple. While you're moving it around, I think I, I liked something that you all were saying came to mind, you know, having the support of those instructors that are maybe ready to either not do as much or maybe they're ready to stop, but let them help with the transition. Because again, they're bringing this wealth of knowledge and experience that they can pass along, or, they, or maybe they're really good, like some, you know, at the JTC I was at, uh, they're, you know, one that's just not comfortable with, I mean, it, the minute you start talking about doing things online and with the computer, it was like, ah, but he's phenomenal. And especially like the hands-on stuff. So it's like, man, let's find a, a blend here. Let him help with this, let this person, you know, and, and make that, work it just it's different right so it's we're, we're thinking outside the box hi chance solomon uh, i'm a full-time instructor from oklahoma city uh, also a graduate of the four-year and the advanced studies uh, as far as retention goes coming here is probably the biggest thing i'm an assistant training director now too so um you know 
know, I get in a funk every single year. It doesn't matter how many years I've been doing this. You know, it's, it's a tough job, but coming here and getting to go through the curriculum and be around other instructors keeps me going. So as far as retention, this is the biggest thing that's kept me in the position I'm in and not back out in the field. Uh, finding new instructors is hard. Uh, we use our CWC instructors. We bring people in, test them out there. Uh, if they seem to be working out, then we bring them to NTI with us, and we, we do it that way. That's excellent. I, I was like, ooh, that's one of our, a star from a previous podcast. So wait, the change to, is the assistant training director new? Is that happened since we yeah, recorded? Since the, since the podcast, uh, more responsibility, no more pay. Uh, oh. Still, still teaching full time. I was gonna be like, congrats. And now I'm like, maybe <laughs> no, I do sorry, that. No, seriously, sorry, no. that's huge. Congratulations <laughs> on that. That's, and, and it's not a plug for NTI. It, I really, like, I know that it would feel like that. We're here, so, but, but when you hear from the instructor, so it's not me, Cindy, or me from the ETA saying it, it's in people who've been through it, you know, saying it, I think that, that really does say something about the benefit to our instructors to come. Got here what, and then, uh, no, no, no Jim was Jim first, first and then, Lord. yeah. Um, I actually love to use the Outstanding Apprentice Program mm -hmm. to bring in my new kids. Mm -hmm. When, I, when we, we select our OAs, I have that in mind that I'm not going to be able to use that person as a teacher down the road. We bring them here, we get them excited. I kind of like, it's like setting the hook, you know what I mean? You set the hook, you reel them in, and then you get them involved in a small project. Uh, maybe teaching law or lift training or CPR and see if they like it. And then you start rolling them back in here and same thing to your point, get them in, get them in I group right away. Right. Get them excited. And I have a lot of teachers that may not be teaching, I forget who said it somewhere over here, part of the class, part of the year. You're not teaching, you, right. you're not committing for the whole nine, ten months out of the year, but you, you'll do something you feel comfortable teaching to start with. Like, I'll, like me, I got thrown in with th two weeks lead time, saying, here's third year, go for it. Um, I try not to set them up to fail. So right. that's how we roll. But the LA program's great. If you don't have to send anyone, send somebody. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Very true. And the OA program does identify talent for you, but you maybe end up competing for that talent with other people needs too. So, yeah. But I like it. I like going to structure. Yeah, and it's training, right? I mean, isn't that what we do? So, you know, to leave an instructor, to leave a training director, you know, any like out of the loop of training, like somehow to expect someone's just going to get into a role and then just somehow they're right. just going to know everything. They're going to naturally get better, and you know, it, it's just it's a lot. I've said it a hundred times as far as my first few years teaching, I was probably one of the worst instructors around. So think about it, you gotta, you gotta, now there was no training model, nothing existed then. They just handed you the book like Jim said, all right, you're teaching next week. I said, okay, right. <laughs> look what happened that way. You gotta teach yourself how to do that. So great points. Thank you, yeah. Jim. Good afternoon, everybody. My name's Jim as well, so that kind of confused me when you said you're um, going to Jim first. <laughs> uh, my yeah. name's Jim Rush, out of Local 440 in Southern California, and, and we've had the same struggles with, mm -hmm. with retention and identifying new teachers and I'm sitting and listening to the conversation I'm I'm frustrated with myself because I hadn't thought of this idea until now but we should within our JATCs develop some sort of uh, teacher's assistant like a TA no different than somebody who's a teacher in an actual education system they have to do a semester as a TA so that would allow individuals without the commitment of teaching to go in and sit with an instructor learn different styles because for a, lot of the, for a lot of the teachers, and I'm not a teacher myself, but it's fear of the unknown. We're all wiremen in some form of capacity. 
So it's fear of the unknown and understanding what different teaching styles are, communication styles, and what have you. But if we develop some sort of TA type program, you may help foster and bring up more teachers for your future. That is and I'm pissed that I just thought about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> But we now you thought about it. We can't edit it. stuff, right? Mark, Mark, we can't edit stuff, right? We can do that. Oh, no, we're not editing that. Are you kidding me? There is nothing on there that tells you a you know, motion picture association rating on our podcast. So if they let me do the podcast, I can promise you there is no restriction. Yeah. Yeah, Rob from Mount Vernon, Washington. And we have a full daytime school. We have about uh, five instructors currently. What I found is figure out what their passion is and let them run with that. And what I mean by that, if somebody really loves solar, then let's get them involved. If there's some um, energy board or something in the community state mm. college, let's get them on that. Somebody that's really loving the code, let's get them on code making panel, that type of stuff. So, so investing a little bit and giving them the chance to grow their career and really, it's kind of selfish on my part in the sense that it's helping all of our apprentices and benefiting our program, too. And the other piece, which I failed utterly at because I just had to let two instructors go, but I did not educate my committee at just how difficult it is to find great instructors. Oh. You know, we're investing in these people, you know, and we really need, you can't treat them as inside wiremen where you just lay them off, they go ahead in the books, and you know, I can get two more real fast to replace them. So you know, I think those are two key things. I, I learned something, and also you know, what we're doing in our program that's working pretty well. Yeah. Thank you very much, Robert. And you're right, as far as uh, the re-education of our committees about the apprenticeship needs of a good instructor, you're right. That's something that Agamaya can help with. I'm going to do is start giving that message as well about how to build that message. It takes more than just putting somebody in the classroom. The next day, and I'll use myself as an example again. I mean, I literally, when I was handed top out of my apprenticeship program on a Friday, and, I, and Keith Brand, Billy Hicks there at the time, shared a job change between them, and I walked in the next Monday when I top out on a Friday and Monday teaching the code course. So you had zero prep, no way to do it when you go through and look at it. So uh, you know the class was terrible. You know good and well it was terrible. So how, what kind of model? <laughs> what kind of model can we put together to kind of give some assistance to new instructors and? Educate committees, you can't do that. You can't expect that class to perform with that instructor in the classroom. So right. and we're not doing a student any justice, we do that. Can we do a survey of those students? No, you'll never okay. know who <laughs> I won't even tell Stephanie who they are. She probably knows some of them. So no. Stephanie, we're gonna we'll talk later. I've got a hand over here. I think what you were talking about though, Rob, it, like it's a win-win, right? There's yes, the JTC benefits, but you're empowering this person, you're allowing them to find their niche and you know, and grow. And I think, man, that's gonna I want to give back to someone who sees something in me and allows me to kind of like spread my wings and, and get better at things. So I think, again, you, you almost create loyalty naturally by doing something like that. I was wondering if we could switch topics. Let's do it. Maybe we could talk about uh, CWCEs wanting to transfer into the AIW program and that process, okay? Locally, I'm dealing with right now the one party of the, of the process of the committee is wanting to follow the direct entry process, which is great, that's wonderful. However, there's some moving parts that they want included in that that would not be fair for direct entry for others uh, just coming in off the street. So I can't find a good fit, according to our standards, for CWCEs to come in through direct entry. 
I'm sure others may be dealing with this problem as well. And here's the problem that we're dealing with the most. When you come in through direct entry, the direct entry process says the BEJTC will evaluate this person. Mm -hmm. Well, one partnering agency's already done that, okay? So if we were to look at the possibility of some sort of transfer process from CWCE to AIW, nothing to do with the direct entry process, is that something tangible and possible that can be done? A transfer from CWCE to AIW? In a way, Danny, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's not that have a direct answer because the, the, the CWCE program being an unindentured, unregistered program, you can't really make a, reg, a transfer from an unregistered program to a registered program, that's what it looks like. But what's possibly done is you can take the CWCE to be a, the hybrid program, which is registered. There is a transfer path for the hybrid apprenticeship and CWCEs to the inside wiring program. That does exist, so making them a hybrid apprenticeship would do that. Uh, but being unregistered, no. They still got to go through the application process all the way through. And I'm reading between the lines what you said. You said it quite clearly. And your party, we, we satisfy our sponsoring parties. I get it. That's our job. What we have to do is take care of their needs as well as we build our apprenticeship program without destroying the apprenticeship model. And bringing in CWCEs, uh, technically, theoretically, uh, either one side or the other has already evaluated those CW1, 2, 3, 4, whatever they are, and said they're at this level. Well, I'll bring them into JCL now. Wait a minute, you gotta take his test to do what? I already, mm -hmm. I've already brought them here to this letter to go. You tell me they're not gonna quite equate to that model? I can see where the conflicts are rising in, in, your, in your shoes there. Uh, Short-term response, the, the hybrid model, where you make them all a hybrid apprentice first and transfer them in? Yeah, that's, that's easy. You can do that. Your committee can do that. Um, Long-term, one of the things I wanna do is get to where you get to talk about a competency model, what it is. I wanna evaluate every, every apprentice the same way we expect every worker to perform on the job sites. I want to do away with paper testing at JDC. I want them gone. Uh, that's a big change in what we do grading. How do you progress people through? How do you grade people? How do you, well, that's a control issue because we use a metering uh, uh, issue. Let's take AC theory. You would train in AC theory. You study all the you know, lagging, leading performance factors, three-phase current, three-phase current, power factor corrections, all the apparent power needs that are there, and then study all the AC theory, and then give the student a set of meters and three-phase circuit, go take these measurements. You tell me what this transformer delta Y connected three-phase power circuit and what is produced off of it. What is the Z factor? What is my reactive power going to be? And they do that and answer those questions. Why do I want to make them take a paper test? I don't. So then I can take that worker at CW at that time, bring him over here and say, all right, this is what we expect our journey to be able to do, do this. There's no formulas, no math, you got to remember nothing like that you have to do, and you can use a performance-based evaluation. We're getting there. I like to say is, is it's a three-phase system. Uh, and the first phase was building the infrastructure to make it happen. The LMS system, the operating system, we have the most powerful engine for doing this in the world, I'm telling you. The system we build is so that, that integrated and that potential use is gonna be tremendous as far as going forward. We're in phase two now with building CML. That's computer-mediated learning to give us a time to do that. Once that curriculum is developed, all of a sudden all of assessments can go to what? Performance-based evaluations. Where they go? Now, we will not lose all paper tests. We're not getting rid of the history of NECA and the labor history that involved with it. We're not getting rid of that because those are very critical importance to building part of the family, what we do, how we do it. Uh, and I don't know how to test that other than maybe get them to give a lecture back to you, write a story, essay, something, or paper tests may exist and something like that to make sure they read the material. But that would take care of a lot of your problem, I think. I have a solution I have offered my committee <laughs> that I'm gonna share and bounce off of you if I can. Uh, if they were to not take the direct entry 
process, mm -hmm. which the direct entry process allows you as an applicant to choose to go that route or just apply for the program. Right. If they were to just apply for the program, go through the interview process, hear from the one side of the party that's been sponsoring them thus far, I'm confident the other side of the party would support them in this process. Mm -hmm. They would get selected into the apprenticeship program. They would be given credit for uh, previous on-the-job training. And that committee might even honor the evaluation that they already took place. And that would circumvent all of this because we're just applying for the program and we have some skills that Agreed. the committee could give credit for. Very valid The solution. hiccup I'm having with that is well, now you're making our people go through an interview. So everyone's <laughs> going to get the think. opportunity to go through an interview process and get properly uh, selected and evaluated for where they right. fit in your program. Exactly. And what he's referring to, in the interview process, you can never close off any application process, any of the pathways into apprenticeship. can't be closed off. In other words, you can't suddenly require everybody's got to come from a CWCE background. You can't do that. You have to leave it open to everybody. But what you can do is you can use prior experience, training, and education as a ranking evaluation on the ranking list for the interview. That's how it's done. And that's a legal way to do it, and it's the right way to do it, because you're rewarding somebody for past experience and use it. But, but don't ever say you have to complete this process, and it's going to be a rigged system to come, come in and model where it's done. It's always a process of applying, get through the program, and rank because of prior experience and our education that ranked higher. Pure and simple. So I thought about something when you said that they have to interview again. like. I, and not every company or industry is like this, but you know, sometimes you may be working for an organization and you're this, right? This is my title, this is my, my field, but I find out about a job opening somewhere else within that organization and I want to apply for it. So there's an application process, right? I have to apply for the job. I'm gonna have to be selected. They might be interviewing people within the company. There might be people outside the company they're interviewing. I'm gonna have to go talk to somebody. Right, it's not gonna be enough to just say, I work here in this department. So, I mean, to me, there's a little bit of that. I don't know, I'm not suggesting you it's gonna sell, but I look at it like the CWCE program is not the apprenticeship. The apprenticeship is not the CWCE. And we used to, I was very robotic in it, but it's one doesn't get you into the other, one doesn't keep you from the other. Right. But they are two different applications. They are two different programs. So to me, that's how I see it. It's like, it's not that we're forcing a new interview in the sense of like, you're not enough or you're not a part of us. It's that, hey, you're, you're applying now for a different job or a different role within the company. And therefore, we got to talk about that. You're doing this, and the fact that you're doing it and have great recommendations maybe from your contractor or whoever, that goes along with you into this new role you're desiring. Again, I'm not suggesting it works, but it's, it's a thought that came to my mind. Yeah. Anything else? We're about to get out of time, but I wanted to, the one thing, oh, did you have a hand? Somebody, anybody? Okay. I start seeing things, and then it's probably just because it's late in the day. Not drunk or high, no drug testing or alcohol testing, please. Um, I swear, everybody's been watching me, I'm good. Uh, we mentioned outstanding apprentices, so I was thinking about wrapping on this. This year we have a record number. We have 105, which is just, woo, like I can't remember what it started with. Was ten. it like, okay, 10. ten. So the very, very, very first outstanding apprentice group was 10, and we've got 105, which is just brilliant. Um, so someone had asked, like, one, they were talking about how do, they, how do you recognize an outstanding apprentice? So not talking about NTI. We're just talking about how do you recognize, how do you choose, your outstanding apprentice period just within your own own JTC but then also do you have criteria for sending an outstanding apprentice 
to NTI to be recognized. So does anybody have any like advice that they could give someone on that? So again, how do you recognize within your JTC and pick your, your outstanding? And then if you do send them to NTI, what type of criteria do you have? Did you have something? You're gonna have to say something because I pointed oh, at you. Oh, popcorn <laughs> needs, needs the mic. Oh, that's your new nickname. Can we get a new badge? I'm sure someone can print one. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, we look at the totality of the five years of their classroom time plus their work histories. We want a well-rounded person coming out here, not just the kid who had the best grade average, right. who does well on the job, who participates, right? Um, that's step one. I collate all that up. I take my top two or three to the committee and present them to them. For their, they make the final determination on who is our outstanding apprentice. Mm -hmm. We've had years where we had three. They couldn't mm -hmm. decide between the three candidates I brought, so they sent, we'll send them all. Mm -hmm. I have four here right now because we had a backlog. Oh, right, right. So those guys were promised they were going to get to come. It might be two years later, but they got to come. Mm -hmm. And out of those two right now, I've already committed to teaching for me. So. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Oh, very good. That's great. Well, and you give them an experience. You know, we talk about, someone said it. Do we have, I think we might have had another hand. Okay. Um, someone had talked about how, you know, NTI instructors come, right? They have NTI. They have other possible events. Uh, training directors, we try to have regional right. seminars. We have training director committee seminars. We have NTI. But apprentices often don't have a look at how big our industry is, how things are, you know. And so having the outstanding apprentice, which I understand it's, it's one, two, three, four, whatever it is, but it's your, you know, your choice of the, the top. But to be able to experience it, I think does something for them, meeting fellow apprentices or recent graduates, I should say. I'm trying to figure out how to make that program grow in ways, not just outstanding apprentice graduates, not graduates, they've right. completed the apprenticeship. But everyone there will tell you that after this week, their evaluation tool is coming back, which I'll read them all and say, I wish I would have known this my first year. How do we get yeah. that across? So could we have, sorry everyone, we're not planning um, for the future of NTI, I swear I'm coming. But yeah, like mm -hmm. why, could we have something, and not restrict it to a year, right? But some fir first through fifth, mm -hmm. you know, you have an apprentice Pro, you know, some kind of program, so you, they don't have to have graduated. Mm -hmm. They're current apprentices that you do see something in them. Maybe you're doing it for encouragement. Maybe you're like, man, there's something, I know they have it in them, but it just seems like they're, they're getting complacent or they need that push, and you send that person, and maybe then you find out if, you know, where they're at, but I mean, you start growing people that way. So we have a contest within our own students every year uh, to determine who our outstanding apprentice is. We take their grade point average and it's weighted 40% of the five years. Yes, you did your homework, you learned something at that time, but do you still know it as a fifth year graduate in our program? Then we put them through a practical exam. So they do a written exam and then a practical exam and those two combine together for 60% of the weighted score with 40% of your five-year grade point average. So they actually go across the hall, hook up transformers, motor control circuits, and things of that nature. They do a practical and a uh, written exam, and the math tells us who our outstanding apprentices. I take the top three of that selection process to the committee. If the committee says, you know, John's really had a bad reputation through this program, Tom's a better fit, uh, even though he is second, then that committee chooses who they want to go. Traditionally, it's always been uh, whoever had the highest score and qualified. Mm -hmm. I learned something at NTI this year that really excited me. 
since we're already doing this in the fifth year, someone else mentioned in their program they're doing this in the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year. They're identifying their outstanding apprentice each year. What a motivating uh, uh, possibility. So I'm carrying that back home to, to us as well. So as far as the other part of it, uh, once we found our outstanding apprentice to come to NTI, uh, we've gone to CSLMCC and we've given them a budget and asked for their uh, scholarship to help us and they 100% support it. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. I see over here. I was thinking, I don't know if anyone else has ever tried this, but like with the, I'm just speaking for the fifth year, I love what you're talking about, but the fifth year outstanding apprentice, um, you know, it's like, do you let their classmates you know, by anonymous ballot or whatever, you know, have a say in it essentially. And obviously that's not the, how, how that's weighted, I don't know. But, you know, as you take it to the committee, the class chose. Yeah, peer evaluation should be important yeah. as well. Yeah, I think it has value. We bring in a standing apprentice as well. Um, we use our grades, the top grade. I do like the idea of having other options besides top grade. Um, but we do identify our top apprentices every year. Um, part of that process and rewarding them. We have uh, apprentice day at Tallahassee. So we take everybody, we take the top apprentice there, we take them to NETDA, um, or different places, wherever we can. We just try to take, um, not NETDA, but uh, Mika event. But we do try to take them, we do try to reward them. Um, I think it's very important. I come from a very big local up in New Jersey, but I am currently working in a very small local mm. in Daytona Beach. And it's so much bigger than just their surroundings. Mm. NTI, places like this really show the expanse of what right. we are right. sometimes. Mm. Right, great point, Robert. Yeah. So this is just to talk a little bit about the apprentices and the appreciation we have for them. Mm -hmm. it, it moving away a little bit from the topic, but so I went through the program myself 25 plus years ago, and uh, and then I landed this role at, at, at NECA, and uh, one of the first jobs I had was, they had this through Electri, Electri is the research and education arm of NECA. They had these challenges that they have. Well, one of the challenges was, is to go into the apprenticeship school, identify some apprentices that want to get involved in this small business startup challenge. And they'll be competing, it's a competition, and if they were to win, they get a, it was a financial reward. I, I can't remember what it was. So two years ago, uh, working with Marty, we've identified some, some candidates, uh, a group of three. We ended up taking second place. I said, oh, pretty good, pretty good. Mm. So as the reward, we ended up taking those three individuals to the NECA convention uh, that was, uh, in the first year it was put off, but, but then we, we made good, we made whole. Last year we took them to Tennessee and to Nashville, and it was a fantastic experience for them. Um, but while they were there, we engage, uh, our chapter of NECA engages with a Wayne State student chapter. Uh, it's, it's, we have a, uh, it's another program that we run to help find, identify project managers or potential estimators and things like that. So anyway, so, so the apprentices got to mingle with, with these, uh, with the college that we, that we have this, uh, partnership with. Fast forward, this year's challenge for this electric, those same apprentices just so happened to work for this host contractor that we partnered with. And, uh, and I just found out that we're going, now we're going to go present in Texas. And I believe those apprentices, those same apprentices, now that worked as partners with the Wayne State student chapter, with the student chapter, 
So now you have, remember, you have students working with apprentices, and they were trying to understand to each other, explain to each other what the roles are in our industry. And, and by no means, all of these roles are so supportive and important for our industry, whether you're on my side, whether you're on IBW side, we, we need each other, and the apprentices are so important too. And it gives the apprentices a good understanding of, hey, I can be an estimator, a business owner, a project manager, I can be a, a trustee, I can be, I mean, the sky's the limit uh, for the apprentices, and, and they need to get exposed to that early on. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with just carrying around a pair of channel locks in your back pocket. Trust me, there's not. I did it for a long time. It's great, but we also need leaders at some point, and we need people that are going to continue the industry. Right. So. Well, you can't make a choice if you don't know your options, just right? Exposure. And so yep. that's what I think is important. We're almost out of time, but I did want to, just one thing, just to make a comment. I know one of the questions we got was, what kind of resources are there for training directors and assistant training directors outside of NTI? So the point, you know, NTI is great. You come, you network, you learn. A um, couple of things I would mention is, you know, we do have other events, because I, I, I think there is value. Um, it's not looking to spend money, but I think there's value to getting out of the house, right, if you will, you know, and go be somewhere else. It kind of refreshes you a little bit. Here's some information, rub shoulders with your peers. So there are regional seminars. We do have a TD committee uh, session that we do. So those are some things that we have. Um, we do have staff that are willing to, to talk with you. And um, I know that it was mentioned, you mentioned any TDA. I know that's been brought up as well when we've done our, um, our TD Connect, which is something that we've started where every few months we just get on Zoom and legitimately, like there is very little agenda other than just jump on, let's chat, laugh, joke, whatever. Um, you know, and, and this question was asked there and you know, they mentioned NETDA where you've got you know, the training directors together. So just in case that was someone was wondering about that or someone listening, you know, that there are certainly ways to connect with um, your peers, to learn from them, you know, and, and don't ever hesitate to reach out to us and say, hey, who can I talk to? Because we, you know, different staff members get to know training directors. So we might be able to say, yeah, we know this person has that, has, you know, conquered this barrier that you're experiencing. So. Um, not a plug for NETDA. But a plug. But um, <laughs> I found NETDA be extremely helpful. Not only just standing around everybody who's your peer, like you said, we need our peers, we need our mentors, we need to be mentoring others. And going to NETDA, to find out everybody had the same passion that I do was just, mm -hmm. it was great and it was good to get out and, and really be with each other and explain ourselves and have a really good time, so. It's good, now, that's a great organizational meeting to get talk. We have other regional meetings we have to do the same thing. We try to keep it smaller, the regional meetings for smaller for a reason. We have more one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one time. We can talk and communicate that's there. Uh, one of the better ones we had going on this year is actually had a new committee member training along with new training director meeting as well as existing committee member and, and training director meeting. Very well attended, very, one of the better meetings, I think, seminar we were able to put on. We would definitely do it again. Uh, I'd like to get to demand have to do it twice a year if we could, because I love our committees. I mean, that's how we work by committee. I know that's how it works and how we succeed, but this education needs to take place at the committee level sometimes. Uh, this is trying to help them out a little bit, give them an avenue where they can come in and talk, have some face-to-face -face conversations with why we do what we do and why we do it and why the need is there and sometimes it does open eyes and we did do it this past session quite a few times which i enjoy that too right now i just want to say like i heard about a gentleman 
that I'd known throughout his apprenticeship, and then he went to be a journey worker, and I found out that he had been added to the, or added, Lord, um, sorry, it's again, getting later in the day, but he was now on the committee at the JTC, and when Todd talked about them, like, I think he's going to be fantastic, like, let me make that very clear, but I'm like, unless something, you know, which something could have happened that I don't know, but I'm like, what does he know about this world? Like, I don't want him to be set up for failure. Does he understand what the role is, you know, as a committee member, as a trustee? And so this training, when Todd started talking about it, I'm like, that's beautiful. You know, now he can go and hear from experts, you know, legal advice and all that stuff. So anyway, I think it's a, it's a I guess I'm plugging now, this committee and, and TD training because it really does help you. It helps the committee member to be able to do their job. And we know there's a lot of responsibility. You hear it from the attorneys. That's a, that's a heavy weight to take on. And a lot of times people don't even know they're, they're taking it. And thank you everyone. Like I'm looking at all your faces. Thank you for, for coming to this session. Thank you for your engagement and interaction. Um, and you can look for your Say What podcast debut uh, at the end of August. So hand clap for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, go enjoy your evening. Thank you so much to everyone who attended our 31st NTI and for making it so very special. You are why we do it. And it is truly our privilege to serve the industry. Big thanks to you, the listeners, for taking time to join us. Remember, we want to hear from you. and We want to cover topics that are important to you. So if you have anything that you would like to suggest to us, please send me an email at saywhat, that's S-A-Y-W-A-T-T, at electricaltrainingalliance.org. Our next episode is coming your way in September. And we are talking with the IBEW Our Power Instructor of the Year, Rachel Hines, and the Apprentice of the Year, Melanie Zavala. Until then, stay connected with us through our newsletters, blog posts, and on social media. Be sure to follow us there. Subscribe to this podcast. Tell someone about it. Stay powered up, and we will see you next time. Say what?